Voice of the Musical. Hi, this is Tim, and welcome to another Voice of the Musical interview. Um, it's December 2017. It's been a good year for musicals. Hamilton, the London production of Hamilton, is currently in previews. Um, everybody's talking about Jamie has opened, transferred from Sheffield. Romantics Anonymous has uh, had its UK premiere. In fact, its world premiere, I beg your pardon, at the, uh, at the Globe under Emma Rice's direction. Um, lots of great things happening at the Other Palace, the venue which was formerly St. James. Um, lots of new productions or first productions of shows um, is happening there under Paul Taylor Mills. Um, and uh, what have I been doing? I'm, one, of, one of the things I realised listening to other people's podcasts, one of the things I don't do enough of is plug myself and my own stuff. Um, so I thought I'd say what I've been up to, which is uh, I've been writing music for the Royal Shakespeare Company, so a production of Titus Andronicus, which... Uh, was directed by Blanche McIntyre, opened in the summer in Stratford and has just transferred to the Barbican as part of the Rome season. Um, that was a hugely enjoyable job. Um, I've also been writing songs for Alexi Sale, for Alexi Sale's Imaginary Sandwich Bar, the second series of that show, which was broadcast on radio for um, last month. Um, and you can hear some of those songs on my website. That was a, another hugely enjoyable thing, working with Alexi and, uh, and writing crazy songs for the radio, which I enjoy enormously. Um, I also teach at the Book, Music and Lyrics um, workshop. So if you are a, uh, a writer who wants to uh, have a, a, a year looking at writing, learning a little more about craft and also collaborating with other um uh, other colleagues, uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Of course, I would recommend it, but I will anyway. Um, it's the only course of its kind uh, in the UK. It's based on a model called BMI, um, which was set up by Lehman Engel about 30 years ago in uh, in New York. And we'll be talking more about the BMI workshop uh, in this interview. Now, the interview is with Jeff Blumenkrantz, a wonderful writer, um, recipient of the Fred Ebb Award amongst many other illustrious writers and also um, author of the Jeff Blumenkrantz Songbook Podcast which I urge you to go out and listen to if you haven't already. This is a lost interview. I was actually recorded in in uh, February of 2013 so it's nearly five years old. Sometimes I listen to podcasts and I hear people say well we've, we've this episode was lost and we've just recovered it and I uh, I always thought well who does that who actually loses audio files me is is who does that I lose them and I lost this one um, and very happily it turned up the other day and also um, I had some technical difficulties um, but I think that despite the occasional glitch in the sound quality the content comes through loud and clear so here it is the wonderful Jeff Blumenkrantz. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing for musical theatre? Wow, well, when I was growing up, I was, I guess I, it was my mother's involvement in community theatre that just sparked my interest in in musicals. And so I was tagging along with her to rehearsals and eventually, you know, performances at the local Jewish community centre. And then um, 
and then you know after that it was just a total immersion. I mean, maybe not so much during the school year, but every summer I would go to theater camp. I was taking piano lessons, so it was it was a little bit of all theater all the time, um, even through college. But I think at some point, maybe as I was going off to college, I thought you know I'm going to have to pick music or theater, and I chose theater at the time. And, uh, you know, I studied acting in college and I came out of school uh, to pursue an acting career. But at the same time, I had this music thing going in the background. During the BMI workshop, the, the first year I came to New York as an actor. So I was writing, but it wasn't really um, front and center. If I, you know, if an acting job was going to take me out of town for a year, I took it. And, you know, I didn't think twice about leaving the workshop and... And so that was my priority for many years. But eventually, the, I think the balance or my interests started shifting and writing started seeming more interesting and attractive to me and acting less so. So that's sort of the, the, the big trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first start sharing your material with other people? When, when did you feel confident enough to... <laughs> Well, confidence wasn't even a, an aspect of it. I, I, I remember when I was a teenager, and I'm, you know, like maybe 12 or 13, my mother had a couple of friends who wrote lyrics, and I don't know how they figured out I was somebody who could put music to them, but they just started giving me their lyrics, and I started writing their songs, and then I was performing them all the time at family parties and, you know, talent shows, so... I sort of got in the habit of being up in front of people singing my songs at an early age. And clearly, you know, I was performing by then. So performing wasn't um, traumatic. <laughs> so I, I guess I never had that. I'm probably more self-conscious now about <laughs> singing my songs in front of people for the first time than I was then. But it's a good, you know, it's good practice being in, in um, like the BMI workshop. Hmm. It's just you know you get up and you 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 sing it. You just you know you, you don't get to um, be too precious about it. You just have to throw it out there. How did you come to hear about BMI? I'm not sure. I remember it's so long. I mean, I I my first year in the workshop was was over 25 years ago, which is so crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I, it was if if I had to say, I probably heard it was the thing you were supposed to do if you were mm -hmm. a writer. Even then, and it was a lot. I think it was a lot less um, well known. I don't know. If, I don't even know if that's accurate. Mm. Um, I honestly don't remember how I ended up there, but uh, there I was. Like my first, it was yeah. My first, uh, I came to New York in the fall of 86 and I joined the workshop in the fall of 87 so and what were you expecting when you when you when you rocked up on day one um I probably was expecting a good time <laughs> <laughs> I really you know it's so funny I had no I was there I was I was an understudy in the Broadway production of Into the Woods at the time mm -hmm. so I had a full plate as an actor and going to the workshop was like fun time or, you mm. know, my, my little side hobby. So I had no professional attachment to that experience. I just was like, 
let's you know let's meet new people and write songs and and you know I love an assignment and that's all first year at BMI was was you know write this with that person write that with this person and I loved it I loved it it was just it was pure fun did you ever find yourself kicking against the you know the schematic nature of the course the nature of, and the way they break down the um the, the the craft you know I think either I was young enough that it became who I am or it's a really good fit with who I am <laughs> because it all just seemed absolutely logical and as it should be to me. Hmm. I, you know, a lot of the BMI, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, theory or, you know, the, the uh, people say that BMI writers have a certain style, but I think a lot of that stuff is, um, it's just, it's really just good dramatic writing. So I, I believe. I'm a believer. <laughs> what about the other people in, in your class in your year at, at BMI? Did they, um, did they roll with the, uh, the program as well? Did, did certain people cope better than others? Gosh, it's been so long, and I, <laughs> I, I, I dropped out for a while. I remember there was, there was one very distinguished writer um, who started with me, but she didn't continue very long, and that was Anne Hampton Calloway. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with her. She's Liz Calloway's sister, and she yes. has a big career as a, you know, as, really as an entertainer and songwriter um, at the piano. Uh, and other than Anne, I mean, I'm still friends with some of those people, but, um, well, one person who I started with is Annie Kessler, and uh, she's one of the co-writers of the song I Won't Mind that Audrey McDonald recorded. And we don't write together anymore, but we're still very good friends. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, if you're, if you're talking about how people cope with the BMI workshop, you know, some people I think um, are uh, uh, really take to it and it kind of lifts them up and some people feel beaten down by it. I wasn't one of those people, so it was hard for me to re- to relate to that. But, um, and I, and of course, every uh, workshop moderator has his or her own style. And, you know, and so each individual is going to respond to that style in a different way, so. How do you think being an actor has informed you as a writer? Oh, incredibly. Um, you know, even as I as I start to conceive an idea to write, I'm thinking about what it will look like, feel like, um, be like to perform it, and and not just perform it, design it, direct it. I mean, there's there's really something to be said about getting a full theater education, being you know ha- having the experience of being on stage. The more hats you wear, I think the more um, the more you can take care of in the writing of it, and not just um, trust that other people are going to get it handled. Do you enjoy performing your own material? Or do, you, do you would you rather have other people do it? Oh wow! Um, I do enjoy it, maybe to a fault. <laughs> I I get. I don't want to say proprietary. I mean, there's nothing better than somebody performing your song and revealing something you didn't even know was in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, what I I always say is, you know, 
I I should sing the song because I know all, where all the nooks and crannies are. And also the other thing I, I like about performing my own songs is that I can um, I can cover the imperfections too. You know, <laughs> oh, you know that lyric's a little awkward, but the way I phrase it, it takes all the awkwardness out of it. So you know, I do like to perform my own songs, but um, but again, it's it's glorious to to see someone really you know bring it to life in a way in an unexpected way or even in an expected way. So in 2011, you um, you you were awarded the the Fred Ebb Prize. Um, how has that affected you? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. You know, there's a, a couple of answers, and one is it you know it hasn't affected me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other answer is you know it was a it was a really generous cash award, so I was able to. Um, kind of flesh out my studio setup and um and also I'm I feel like if a if a project became attractive to me and it, and I had to um you know purchase the rights it wouldn't be you know I wouldn't have a, a second thought about it of course uh, that hasn't come up yet so <laughs> Um, and but in you know in, it's it's incredible to be on that list of writers. So in that way, I feel like I I'll always have this amazing advantage, and you know I'm very very honored to be in that company. Um, professionally, I think it might have made a difference if I had had a project um, that was promotable at the time, and I could say, look, this is my new project, and I'm this year's Fred <laughs> Um It wasn't the case, so. <clears throat> I wasn't able to capitalize on it as much as uh, as much as I if there had been a project. Mm. Tell tell us a little bit about um, or tell us a lot about because it's wonderful. Um, is your series of podcasts? You have two podcasts. One is the Jeff Blumenkrantz Songbook Podcast, um, which is how I first heard uh, heard you and your and your work. Um, and the other is the BMI Songbook Podcast. Um, what uh, what led you to choose to go down that route of um, basically the, if, for the, those who haven't heard it, and I hope that every uh, listener will now go out and uh, listen to Jeff's podcast. <laughs> but you're basically inviting your friends and colleagues uh, onto the show um, to perform one of your numbers, and then you have a chance to to interview them about their life, career, and what's happening for them at the moment. Um, what gave you that great idea? Well, it all go. It's it all started many years ago. Um, I would say it was inspired by the Marcy Heisler and Zena Goldrich songbook. Uh-huh. Um, I am friends with both of them, and when they they uh, Marcy showed me this, you know, beautiful fat book of songs that she was about to publish, and I thought, oh, that book is amazing. And who's gonna buy it? No one's gonna buy it. They don't have a <laughs> show. No one's heard of them. And I sort of was, you know, in my head thinking, oh, those poor girls, they're just going <laughs> to like go down with their book. And then their book was uh, successful and popular. And I thought, oh, my God, I was so wrong. And, and I thought, you know, well, if, if they can do it, maybe I can. Because I had the same thoughts about myself. Who would buy my book? You know, I've, I, I have no show. And people buy songbooks for shows or, you know, songbooks full of songs they already know. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, 
I'll, I'll try it too. So I, I published a songbook and then I thought, well, I think people really should be able to hear these songs. And, you know, there was a fork in the road. I, you know, I could either make a CD of the songs and then they'd have to buy the CD and buy the songbook or vice versa. And I thought, is there a way for me to do this for free? Free for me, free for them, free for everybody. Um, and that, and, and at the time, you know, this whole, you know, the internet was exploding and podcasting was just starting to become a thing. And I thought, this is it. This is my access to free dissemination of my songs. So I just kind of invented this format and called, you know, the Jeplin McCrean Songbook Podcast. And the original intent was to just do the, you know, do the 20 songs in the book and call it a day. But um, as I was broadcasting as a loose word for you know podcasting but as i was you know putting up episodes every i think it was every tuesday i didn't want to um i didn't want to miss a tuesday i kind of wanted to i wanted every week to be an episode and i couldn't you know people's schedules were um were not lining up and so I started putting in extra songs. And so then instead of it being 20 songs, it became 25 or 30 songs. And so I, I just kept going. I thought, you know what, this is, an, this is a forum for me to be able to, you know, put a song out there. And it's been great. You know, if I write a song and people are interested in it, then I'll, you know, I'll make the sheet music available and people get to hear my songs. They get to hear great singers, um, talking about the business and then singing and it's all free. So that was, um, it, it, it was just a kind of coincidence that I fell into. And, and, uh, and then with the BMI um, podcast, I thought, well, I figured this out for myself. Um, I, you know, could I bring this to this other community and so I did. I, you know, I, I suggested it to the powers that be at BMI and they were, you know, they said, great, let's do it. So I, you know, there was a, a, uh, what do you call it? Like a panel, a committee, a committee was formed to choose these 20 songs. And, uh, you know, for me, I also had, um, like actors interests in mind. So I wanted them to be songs that people would find useful you know, either in a cabaret or audition setting. So we picked 20 good songs for actors and, you know, I interviewed the writers, I interviewed the singers and people got to hear the songs for free. And of course that's been able to keep you on a, on a schedule and keep you, you know, putting out material, I guess it's sort of, you know, if you have to fill a, fill a slot and you don't have a song. Um, I don't know if you had a back catalogue so, so enormous that you <laughs> didn't win in that position, but it's a terrific way of keeping writing. And of course one of your, series was called Month Upon a Time, so you were, in a sense, commission, commissioning yourself to write um, write songs. That was based on viewer suggestions, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Month Upon a Time was sort of my, um, uh, yeah, exactly a, a self-commission. I, I wanted to uh, have a project that I was working on that wasn't dependent on um, a collaborator's schedule. Mm -hmm. So... I, you know, I designed it and I also was, uh, Twitter was becoming a thing then. And I thought I, I need to learn how to use this. So I sort of built Twitter into my, uh, project and 
it didn't end up being as uh, big a resource as Facebook was, but um, yeah, you know, 12, 12 songs later, there's a song cycle. And there, there's, there are a lot of songs that are being written, which are sort of cabaret songs, which are standalone songs. Um, do you view the art, or, or at least how do you view the art of writing a, um, a self-contained song as opposed to something that would, that would go into a, into a show? Um, I have to say, I, I sort of, I don't necessarily distinguish between the two. I mean, I try and bring the same values to both. Uh, of course, when you're writing a piece for, um, writing a song for a, a, a musical, you are, you know, I want to make sure that I'm writing something that holds up for the character, you know, in the big picture. Uh, and I don't have to think about that for a self-contained song. I, I guess I can, uh, I don't want to say cheat more, but I can, you know, I, I don't have to hold myself to uh, a show's worth of, of logic and story. I guess, you know, one thing, if I'm writing a self-contained slash cabaret style song, I do think about the audience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who Would I want to watch this song? Would I want to go on this journey with a person for five minutes, someone I don't necessarily know, you know, uh, I like, I, I like to write songs where uh, the performer has an opportunity to reveal his, uh, or her kind of unique charm. Mm. And, um, and also that it's a journey worth watching. And I guess also I've noticed that you, you know, you're very adept at the sort of reveal that the twist or saving something back, you know, for the last moments. So we expect the song to be going in one direction, and then, um, and there's a reveal which really takes you by surprise. Oh yeah, tell, tell me what tell me what you're referring to. I think the first song of yours I heard was it is it called Hair? It's I'm gonna shave my hair. March hair, yeah. March hair, March hair, exactly. Um, you know, which I mean, I guess I, I I should have seen the twist coming, but when it when it came, it wasn't a comic reveal. It was quite the opposite, and actually, it's sort of extraordinarily. Um, you know, touching that particular song, um, you know. So I, I, I think there's some there's there's something that I love about um, how, how you construct a song because I I suppose that I um, I hear a lot of contemporary songs written where that the writer doesn't necessarily reveal anything more and uh, in, in the in the last section than he's revealed in the first section. So when there's a um, a real thought has gone into the construction, and, and the core of Ponte was the other one that has a a, a really strong three. It's not so much a reveal, but, but um, you know the fact that the the meaning of the song is taken in different directions for every verse. Um, so I, I, you know, I really kind of you know commend you for that. Thanks. You know, I guess it points to something that I heard very early in my. I don't, I'm not even sure if it was my acting training or my writing training, but the question being, what is different at the end of the song that wasn't so at the beginning? Right. And so that's always on my mind. Tell me about um, Urban Cowboys. Urban Cowboy was kind of an amazing experience. Um because I was, it was like writing songs on Monday and they were being on Broadway on, you know, Thursday. <laughs> and um, that's just unheard of. I, you know, usually you're writing songs in 2012 and they're being on Broadway in 2020. Um, it was, 
it was originally intended to be a musical with all pre-existing country music. And what happened was the director conceiver died very right before they were going into rehearsals for their uh, out of town production. And the director who took it over was sort of, um, bumping up against the pre-existing material and was feeling like it wasn't getting the the storytelling done. And so he started basically ordering original songs mm-hmm. to, you know, funnel into the show. And at some point in that process, Jason Robert Brown became the uh, musical director. And so, you know, obviously there's a, an amazing resource for new songs there. And I was also um, writing songs and so it's just this really fun fast how interesting can we make this and um, you know and also honor the the style of country music and I felt like my my role a little bit was to introduce characters because I ended up writing the uh, you know, first song for three of the characters. One of those songs ended up getting cut, but, you know, I wrote the first song for the leading lady and the first song for the um, the aunt. And and as I said, the leading man, but that song didn't make it to opening night. Um, and uh, it was, it was, it was really fun. It was, it, it, you know, even though the show was, it was not well received and, didn't run very long. It was this, the company was just so in love with each other. And, and I, I think if you talk to anybody who is involved, they would, they would say it was just a really, really fun experience. And how was it like, uh, so what was it like rubbing up against other writers? Um, do you mean the other writers on the show? Yeah. Oh, there was none of that. I mean, we were actually very segregated and, and I had to work very closely with Jason because, um, he was the musical director, so he was. I think he even orchestrated my song, so <laughs> there was no rubbing up against. It was very collaborative. Um, I don't think there was ever a moment where I, you know, you know, I thought I should have gotten that song, <laughs> or I mean, if I had had an idea, I, I was sort of involved. You know, I, I would I would kind of sit in on meetings and rehearsals, and so if I had an idea for a song, I, I, I pitched it mm. and. Um, you know, it was either appropriate or it wasn't appropriate, or what was already there was working, so we didn't need to look at that. We were just really trying to trying to make it better as quickly as possible. Who who are the writers that you um, either contemporary or uh, or historical that you um, admire the most, and you you get your 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 biggest kick from, or your you know your your backbone, your music theater backbone from? Oh wow! Well, the first. Ten are Stephen Sondheim because <laughs> he is the you know the top the, the the top the end the most the there will never be another. Um, but there are other people you know I'm very inspired by the kind of golden age writers the um, you know Candor and Ebb and and Bach and Harnick and J- even Jerry Herman. <laughs> he likes, I feel bad saying the name Jerry Herman in, in this, you know the same sentence as Stephen Sondheim. But uh, but I think they're you know that what he wrote has great value and um, and then in terms of the contemporary contemporary <laughs> writers, um, I do love me some Adam Gettle, mm-hmm. and I love um, 
Herons and Flaherty. And um, God, a, a ton of them. Uh, I love some, some of Michael John Lacuse's shows, I think, are just masterpieces. Um, I, I think those, I think I've hit, I, I've hit my, my super grades. <laughs> it, Michael John is, is interesting, isn't he? Because he's sort of, he seems to be doing something quite different from um, a lot of writers. <laughs> he writes, he writes a show every five seconds. <laughs> I, that just dazzles me. And, you know, and some of them are, I think, more successful on a storytelling level than others. But they're, you know, wholly original, and he's got a really unique voice. So how, how, how does it feel being kind of in, in New York at the moment? What, what, what's the scene feel like? Is it a good time for, for new writing, or is it just as hard as it always was? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> I, um, I mean, it's tricky. I think the commercial theater is as tricky as it always has been. How you know, why some shows are getting produced and why others aren't is a question. But I think that there are a lot of avenues for musical theater writers to um, source to have their work produced. And so, you know, between the festival, the the New York Musical Theater Festival, and the um, what's called NAMT, God, yeah. the National Alliance of Musical Theater, and any number of awards and grants and um, regional theaters that are looking for new stuff and places that are willing to develop material. I really do think it's a, it's a very fertile breeding ground for musical theater. Maybe even more so than it used to be. If somebody were kind of asking you about BMI and signing up for, for class, um, I'm, I'm sort of conscious that well, certainly in, in, in Britain, I think a lot of writers are quite resistant to, um, you know, to going and, and, and studying. You know, they sort of um, either they're worried that it's going to kind of cramp their style or make them write in a different, uh, in a different way. Um, I mean, I have a particular take on it because I, I teach a course over here. But um, what would you say to somebody that said, "Well, you know, I, I'm worried it's going to kind of, um, it's going to make me sound the same, or it's going to, I don't want, I don't want to know rules. I don't, I don't want to, you know." What would you say to something like that? Um, I would say, I mean, depending on how interested they were, <laughs> actually interested they were in my advice, I would say do it anyway, um, because I think the fear that you're not going to be able to get back to that other thing that you were doing is unfounded. I mean, it, with any educational experience, you want to go, you want to immerse yourself in it, you want to soak up as much as you can and really try on what they're asking you to do. And if it's a good fit, great. And if it's not a good fit, then stop doing it. You know, I don't mean stop doing it like after the first class. I mean, you know, you, you know, commit to whatever that is, a year or six weeks or whatever, you know, whatever they're asking you to commit to. And then if that doesn't, um, if it doesn't end up being a, a valuable experience, then you don't have to. You don't have to write with those rules. Just knowing those rules isn't going to. Um, I don't think it's going to stain you. It's not going to like rob you of your originality. I'm sure you can get back there quite easily. At least that's my belief. How would you describe the experience of writing music and lyrics yourself compared to collaborating? Um. <laughs> Well, now we're just talking. I've never collaborated on music. I've only collaborated on lyrics or you know, either collaborated on lyrics or set other people's lyrics. 
Um, I prefer writing my own lyrics. And I guess I would, hmm. I mean, it's nice to have another person in the room um, to kind of bounce ideas off of. But I think when I write lyrics myself, I'm um, streamlining the process. And um, gosh, I don't know. I, like, I, I, as I say this, all of my lyricist collaborators are flashing through my mind. And I'm like getting, getting very self-conscious. Um, and I actually had a great experience working with all of them. So I, you know, I don't say that to diminish anybody. Um, but, you know, when I write my own music and lyrics, it's not like it's necessarily a fast process. I find lyric writing to be excruciatingly slow. Uh, and I am a lyrics first person. Um, I, don't, I don't even want to think about uh, musical material until the lyric has been, if not entirely fleshed out, then, you know, mostly fleshed out. And I know that's frustrating for a lot of lyricists. Um, they want to kind of hear where I'm going musically. The thing that I always say is, um, I don't hear music until the lyric is, is ready. And if I, I have had the experience where I've just forced myself to write music even though lyrics have not arrived. And it's just not, it's not good music. I, you know, my music really hinges on the content of the lyrics. It's interesting. I was speaking to John Bacchino last year, and he he um, he he said that that because I think he enjoys writing the music so much that he deliberately holds off so the the, the lyric is completed first, and then the music is the reward. So for him, I, I, yeah, that's a great way of saying it. I think you know, there's a, it, it is it is the icing on the cake, the the music. And, uh, and I also am a big John Bikino fan, let me just say. <laughs> when you're writing for specific performers, I mean, well, let's talk about Audrey McDonald, who sung that song of hers on, um, of yours on her album. Was, was that song written specifically for her, or did she come and um, say, yes, please, I want to do this? And what is it like write, writing for a, a, you know, a talent or a voice that you know so well and it's, can do so much? Uh, well, I... Um, First of all, I Won't Mind was written for um, a musical about Ben Franklin's son. <laughs> so, um, and it was written, you know, that song was written 10 years before Audra sang it. So, um, no, it wasn't written for Audra. She came to it through her musical director, Ted Sperling, who had um, played it in concert for Victoria Clark, actually, who had been singing it from, you know, almost the beginning. So, um but I had the experience of writing for Audra for um, the Seven Deadly Sins song cycle. And, and I have also written special material or songs for other performers. I can speak to this. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've had the experience of writing material for people that's, that verges on the... Um, autobiographical or I don't know I don't know if it's auto I, if we're if we're talking about them it's auto if we're talking about me it's you know bio um, and that's 
you know, that's interesting. You know, it, it, it's, it's daunting to, you know, when people are kind of letting you take on a slice of their life and, and, you know, put words in their mouth and, you know, we all just have to agree that, you know, some of it is not going to be accurate and that they're just going to let it, let it slide. And, um, but, uh, it's very, it's very exciting to write a song for a person and it's almost easier because you, um, you have a character built in at least, you know, <laughs> whatever your take on that person is becomes the character. Um, Writing the um, the the other piece I wrote for Audra, the or the only piece I ever wrote that was commissioned for Audra, which is called my book, which is the sloth um, in, installment of the Seven Deadly Sins. That was really more like um, I I I don't know if you're familiar with that project, but um, they they commissioned seven writers or teams, each one to take on a a one of the seven deadly sins. And um, I looked at the list of writers and there was um, an, an operatic writer on there and there was Ricky Ian Gordon and, you know, some people who had more kind of uh, contemporary chops and, you know, a little more classical. And I thought, you know what, I am going to deliver the musical theater in part of this. And so I really just tried to write a, a, a performance piece for her. I just wanted it to be kind of um, extravagant and fun and kind of ridiculous and, and, and not try not to be daunted by it. It was a Carnegie Hall commission. I just kept on thinking, oh, my God, I'm writing a song for Carnegie Hall. And, you know, and just tried, tried not to let that... Um, get in my head and, and, you know, so I kind of wrote a, a, a sort of cheap song for Carnegie Hall, but I'm really glad, I'm really glad I did. I, I really feel like it has a unique place in that cycle. It's, you know. What are you working at the, on at the moment, if, you, if you're happy to say? You know what? I actually, I just ended a collaboration, and so I am open for business. <laughs> So, have any ideas? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really. I'm looking for a project that I can write by myself. That's the next thing I want to try. I want to try writing um, all three elements: book, music, and lyrics by myself. And you know, ideally, have a second project uh, going alongside that. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, this has been a somewhat, um, dry period for me, um, since, uh, a couple of collaborations just, uh, I just had a couple of, you know, I don't know, breakups, divorces. I don't know. Are we, were we married? Were we, were we just dating? Um, so I, I have no, um, no good, uh, no projects to, to shout about. What is it that attracts you to a, a subject? Oh boy. Um, well, the thing that I keep asking myself when I'm, I look at a story is, you know, and I'm not saying anything people haven't said before, um, does this crave to be musicalized? Or why would somebody have to musicalize this? Can these people sing? Can, you know, is this something I want to watch? unfold 
for two hours? And, you know, unfortunately, the answer is usually, you know, no, one of those questions. <laughs> you know, and I feel like all those questions sort of have to, they have to come in yes. Hmm. Um, so I, I find myself, you know, rejecting a lot of, a lot of story material. And I, I am a very traditional writer. I still think in terms of the book musical. I've never written anything super um, conceptual. I think it would take, you know, maybe working with a director who had a really strong vision to kind of pull me into the land of concept musical. So thinking of, you know, of, uh, of, of book musical storytelling when I when I look at stories and projects and so there hasn't been um, there hasn't been a lot that I've said yeah this really this really needs me to to musicalize it have you um, done any teaching yourself have you been back to BMI to teach or do you teach any classes you know I haven't moderated at BMI but I have um, I do a, a fair amount of uh, like audition technique for actors or, you know, musical theater kind of song study, um, either uh, a one-time like master class or workshop. Uh, I, there's this one school in Virginia where I, I do a, a week-long course every other year. And, um, and I've even done some uh, songwriter kind of workshop classes um, there and I do love teaching. It's really, really fun and rewarding. How how do you approach that responsibility of critiquing um, other songwriters' material? Are there are there particular things that you try to avoid saying? Do you try to be you know firm but fair? Well, I guess the important thing is to um, you know first of all distinguish what they're what they were up to in the first place and was that successful or you know did they did they get that done at least and then the other the other big thing to mention is that you know we're talking about my opinion in this in this situation i mean there really is no objectivity when when it comes right down to it even even if we're saying you were up to, you know, you wanted to accomplish X, did X happen? You know, I could think that X didn't happen and you could think that X did happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, I, I like to impress upon people, you know, I'm going to give you my unique and individual opinion and that's, you know, if, if there's value for you, great. And if not, move on. So I think that maybe takes the, hopefully that takes the curse off of, um, you know, it if, <laughs> it's like in BMI, <laughs> you, you could sing a song, you present a song and, you know, half the room thinks you, you know, you, you just reinvented the wheel and half the mm-hmm. room thinks you botched it. So you maybe. You maybe have people whose taste you are aligned with, and you say, okay, well, if these people who share my taste um, think that I have not accomplished what I set out to accomplish, then I need to look at this. Yeah, I th- and I think it's, it's really harder to, 
to speak um, objectively about music than it is about content. You could say, like, I actually didn't understand what was happening. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say, I didn't understand that chord change. You know, it wasn't like, what, you know, maybe it, it didn't please my ear, but, you know, I can't tell you that it's wrong because it didn't please my ear. Mm. You'll, be, you'll be pleased to know that you, I think your, your songbook is, uh, is, is doing the thing it, uh, you, you, you hoped it would do. And, uh, I, I ran into one of your songs um, when I was teaching a class in uh, in Oxford over here. Um, a song called "Toll." Mm. Um, somebody was thinking that song, so that was um, that was a nice a nice discovery for me because I'd just been listening, to, I think, to one of your one of your episodes. Um, is it is it nice? Is it a, a, it's a silly question, but but how do you feel about your your material kind of going out into the into the world? You know, it's amazing. I mean. I, you know, when I was sending songbooks to, you know, foreign countries, it was just like, I mean, it was it was enough to, you know, send one to Nebraska or something, but <laughs> to get an order from Denmark or, uh, you know, Australia, it just blows my mind that there's, you know, people across the world looking at these songs and, you know, maybe sharing them with people. I just love it. It's amazing. And it's so funny to think, you know, you, that you would hear Toll in Oxford. I think of Toll. I mean, like, I was scared to sing Toll in Chicago because it's <laughs> such a, like, to me, it's such a New York area. You know, it says uh, about the New Jersey Turnpike. And I think in yeah. Easy Pass, there's a joke about, um, you know, the, I don't even know if you have this in, in the UK, but, you know, the, 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 the things you put in your car that allow you to go through tolls without, you know, throwing change in the basket. <laughs> you know the automatic payment things do you have yeah, that yeah you must we do know yes but uh and i guess i i guess you know it's uh, I, i'll tell you when we wrote i won't mind and now i'm going back you know almost 25 years but we wrote this musical about ben franklin and his son william and we just assumed that all of these songs were useless in the world because they were, you know, they all took place in 1776. And <laughs> I mean, who's going to care? And they're so rooted in that time. And so when people started singing, I won't mind, we were sort of amazed, like that any, any, anyone could listen to it and not hear Revolutionary War period. But, mm. you know, I'm having the same experience now just talking to you thinking, well, I guess Toll um, makes sense anyway, even though... It's not near New Jersey, and you don't call it Easy Pass, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and, and and also I think that um, that actors are looking, for, you know, they're not necessarily looking to replicate their own experiences. They are they are looking to get into the head of the of the songwriter. And uh, and do you ever get uh, contacted by you know a, an actor from a different state or a different country who's sort of wanting to to know more or asking questions about your material? Yeah, I do. And I've even, like, I'm just remembering I was approached by a singer from Australia who, you know, who wanted, who was putting together a, an original show and I wrote a song for him. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing the conversations that I've had with, with people from all over the world and, and the, the most, affecting are the ones you know, people are, are reaching out to me to tell me how my songs have made a difference in their life somehow and that just like 
I just, I don't even know, I don't even know how, what to say to that. That just is so, is, it's so, so special. We have, a, we have a duty to be seeking out the new work and, and sharing it, and that, and that feels really great. Yeah, and you know, the internet has, has created the environment to, you know, to make it so possible, and you know, websites like, two that are off the top of my head that I'm involved in, one is called newmusicaltheater.com, then they sell um, you know, sheet music of new theater writers, and then the other one is this website called the Directory of Contemporary Musical Theater Writers, and um, you know, it's sort of a, a compendium of people and songs currently, you know, being written. You know, exactly the kinds of songs that you know you were saying students are are looking for. So yeah, it's it's the internet has has really blown the lid off this whole this whole experience. I think I think I think what's what's happening now for young writers could not have happened without because you know whatever it is pre-internet or is that or maybe not even 15 years um, yeah people weren't people I couldn't have a songbook it just you know it just couldn't have it, it is entirely a function of the internet age what would your top three advice points be to uh, to a new writer who came to you you know just off the bus or um, knocked on your door and or, or sent you an email as to you know how do I how do I really get better at this hmm <laughs> <laughs> nothing like putting you on the spot yeah I just I wish I had like three ready to go I, I guess the first one is is kind of silly but I would say first thing you should do is sit down and read the pink and then the blue Sondheim book. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. The big pink and then the big blue. And because um, I think he just, you know, he's so good at it and he talks about it and he kind of he breaks a lot of stuff down and it's, it's an education just right there. Are these the, the recent books, Finishing the Hat and Look, I Made a Hat? Or is this previous? Oh yeah, material? yeah. I think I maybe I'm just looking at the I'm looking at it, and I think I said it backwards. I think the blue one is first, and then the yeah, the blue one, and then the pink one. They, um, they came out. They came out over here in different covers, so I. Um, oh really? Didn't have pink and blue ones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so I was thinking, Thank you for you, clarifying. That's okay. I thought you must mean that, but I I uh, I, I needed to get my head around it. Yes. Yeah. They are they are wonderful. <laughs> um. That would be one. Number two would be, um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think to you know to join a a, a workshop like BMI or uh, what I'm assuming is the the one that you're leading, I think is a great resource to get the um, to get feedback from your peers. is uh, is a big deal because I think as theater writers. Our songs are only as good as the, you know, how people receive them. I mean, we're writing them to be heard, to be performed, to be, you know, for people to be able to um, get them. And if they're not being gotten, then you want that information. So um, I guess, you know, peer, 
peer advice is a good is is number two, and then number three would be um, well, this is one I want to say to myself while I'm saying it to you, <laughs> um, and you know, to try not to get in your head about it, and just to try and write from the heart. In in terms of not getting into your head, is it important to is it important to put out a lot of material, or rather, you know, not to get hung up on one song? Is it important to to kind of keep going, um, or, or is it important for you to kind of get a song finished, get it crafted before moving on? I might spend, well, how can I say this? Let's just say the song is a 100-hour experience. Um, there are times when I spend 50 hours just conceptualizing the song or just like kind of getting to the heart of the song or, you know, really kind of figuring out how, how I can dramatize this moment that I know there is to be dramatized, that's, that's half, half of the time spent is just what it, what it would look like would be me sitting in a chair, like looking off into the distance for 50 <laughs> hours. And then 45 hours might be, you know, me typing at the keyboard, just, you know, trying to, you know, put, text to it and then the last five hours would be music mm. um but you know should people just you know crank through songs i don't know i mean i guess there could be value to that and and i will even do this i call it like the blurt you know where i just i just start typing typing to get to some you know to something anything and you know so people might you know some people might find that valuable to just write, 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 write a song, write a song, write a song, write a song, or uh, I think I'm more of the other type, which is, you know, look for the, what you really, really have to say here, and, you know, don't, I don't like to put the um, finishing touches on until I know that the, that the, the song has integrity, and that's why, I think that's why I don't, I, I consider the music to be finishing touches. So I like, I will hang out with that lyric or even with the concept until I know it has legs and, that, and then I'll move forward. Is there anything else you want to kind of share in terms of, um, uh, in terms of future plans or concerts or acting work? Gosh, I don't think there's anything for me to tell you about. I'm like... Kind of, um, I'm in, my, I'm in, I'm in the cooking phase of my life. <laughs> mm. Oh yes, the cooking. I didn't ask you about the cooking. Well, there's, it's, it's really inappropriate to talk about on, you know, on <laughs> a podcast about, the, you know, musical theater writing. But no, that's, that's my, that's my fun hobby right now is cooking my way through cookbooks. So it has nothing. I, I maybe one day I'll write something about food, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> not, not particularly dramatic. So. Jeff Blumenkrantz, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, a very, very uh, delightful and informative uh, hour to spend with you. Um, thank you for being on Voice of the Musical. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real treat talking to you, and I'm really honored to, um, to be a part of your podcast and uh, to be included in, this, in the great company of, of guests you've had. You've been listening to Voice of the Musical. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. You can find more about me at timsutton.net and more about the show on voiceofthemusical.com.